0: <laughs> Thank you, Christina. I appreciate that very much. Um, Parasudama was a Brahmin who, for some reason, really hated the Kshatriyas, who were the warriors. <clears throat> but he was very, very powerful, both spiritually and physically. And so he went 21 times all over the earth and killed all. All of the warriors on the earth. So he's alive during the whole story of the Mahabharata, and you'll find out later that he actually was the one who taught archery and and all the arts of combat to Karna, which is one of my favorite characters in this whole book. So we're going to start out by just reading a little bit of this. Thank you again for reminding me. <laughs> uh, well, I get I just get carried away and I forget. Okay. It has been heard by us, O monarch, that which thou askest is a mystery even to the gods. I shall, however, speak of it unto thee, after bowing down to the self-born. The son of Jamagdini, Jamag, Jamadagni, sorry, Parasudama, his other name, after 21 times making the earth bereft of all kshatriyas, winded to the winded away to the best of mountains Mahindra and there began his ascetic penance and at that time when the earth was bereft of all kshatriyas the kshatriya ladies desiring of having offspring used to come o monarch to the brahmanas and the brahmanas of rigid vows had connection with them during the womanly season alone but never o king lustfully and out of season so it was very um it was it was very important that a woman have sex to make a child when she was in season and never out of lust and so all the kshatriyas were gone and so they had to go to the brahmanas who basically are celibates most of them but they would because they needed to repopulate the earth they went to the brahmanas and asked them to make a child with them and And they they would, but they did it in a very um, pious way. And kshatriya ladies by the thousands conceived from such connection with brahmanas. And then, O monarch, were born many kshatriyas of greater energy, boys and girls, so that the kshatriya race might thrive. And thus sprang the kshatriya race from kshatriya ladies by brahmanas of ascetic penance. And the new generation, blessed with long life, began to thrive in virtue. And thus were four orders, having brahmanas at their head, reestablished. And every man at that time went into, into his wife during her season, and never from lust and out of season. So the, the sons of these brahmanas, through the kshatriya women, all had very high morals also. And among. And O bull of the Bharata race, in the same way, other creatures also, even born in the race of birds, went in with their wives during the season alone. And protector of the earth, hundreds of thousands of creatures were born, and all were virtuous, and began to multiply in virtue. All being free from sorrow and disease, and O thou of the elephant's tread, This wide earth, having the ocean for her boundaries with her mountains and woods and towns, was once more governed by the Kshatriyas, and when the earth began to be again governed virtuously by the Kshatriyas, the other orders, having Brahmanas for their first, were filled with great joy. And the kings, giving up all vices born of lust and anger, and justly awarding punishment to those that deserved them, protected the earth. And he of a hundred sacrifices that deserved them protect that deserved them protected the earth. And he of a hundred I'm sorry, and he of a hundred sacrifices possessed also of a thousand eyes, beholding that the Kshatriya monarchs ruled so virtuously, poured down vivifying vivifying showers at proper times and places and blessed all creatures. Then, O king, no one of immature years died, and none knew a woman before attaining to the proper age. And thus, O bull of the Bharata race, the earth to the very coasts of the oceans became filled with men that were all long-lived. The Kshatriyas performed great sacrifices, bestowing much wealth, and the Brahmanas also studied the Vedas with their branches and the Upanishads. And O king, no brahmana in those days ever sold the Vedas or taught for money or ever read aloud the Vedas in the presence of a sudra. The The Vaishas, with the help of, that was the merchant class, with the help of bullocks, caused the earth to be tilled and they never yoked the cattle themselves and they fed with care the cattle that were lean and men never milked kine cattle basically let me just men never milked kine let me find that again to do do men never milk kine as long as the calves drank only the milk of their mothers without having taken to grass or any other food and no merchant in those days ever sold his articles by false scales and oh tiger among men all persons holding to the ways of virtue, did everything with eyes set upon virtue. And, O monarch, all the orders were mindful of their own respectful duties. Thus, O tiger of men, virtue in those days was never sustained without with any dimu, diminution, with, without being uh, lessened, basically. O bull of the Bharata race, both kind and women gave birth to their offspring at the proper time. And trees bore flowers and fruit according to the seasons. And thus, O king, the Krita age, having then duly set in, the whole earth was filled with numerous creatures. So this was the Krita age, the age before Dwapara. So it was one age higher than Dwapara. And Dwapara is one age higher than the Kali Yuga that we're in now. And O bull of the Bharata race, when, uh, when such was the blessed state of the terrestrial world, the asuras, O Lord of men, began to be born in kingly lines. Now, asuras are the demons. So they're like the opposite of the brahmanas. They're the demons. And they're like a race that's always around. Um, they're, the lord of the demons is, uh, uh, is the planet Venus, actually, Venus. Anyway, we'll get around to that. And the sons of Diti, Diti was a great Asura, being repeatedly defeated in war by the sons of Aditi, which is the celestials, these are the the sons that were born, and deprived also of sovereignty and heaven, began to be incarnated on the earth. And O king, the Asuras being possessed of great power and desirous of sovereignty, began to be born on earth among various creatures such as Uh, cattle, horses, asses, camels, buffaloes, even creatures like rakshasas and others, and among elephants and deer. And O protector protector of the earth, owing to those already born and to those that were being born, the earth became incapable of supporting herself. And amongst the sons of Diti and of Danu, these are the uh, asuras, the demons, cast out of heaven, some were born on the earth as kings of great pride and insolence. Possessed of great energy, they covered the earth in various shapes, capable of oppressing all foes. They filled the earth, having the, the oceans for its boundaries. And by their strength, they began to oppress brahmanas and kshatriyas and vaishnas and sudras and all creatures also. Terrifying and killing all creatures, as they traversed the earth, O king." in in bands of hundreds and thousands, devoid of truth and virtue, proud of their strength and intoxicated with the wine of insolence. They even insulted the great rishis in their hermitages. And the earth, thus oppressed by the mighty Asuras, endured with great strength and energy and possessed of abundant means, began to think of waiting on Brahman, So now they're thinking, we got to talk to Brahma about this because this is a problem, all these demons coming to the earth. The united strength of the creatures such as Sesha and and Tortoise and the huge elephant and many of the Seshas too became incapable of supporting the earth with her mountains, burdened as she was with the weight of of the, the, the demons. And then old king, the earth, oppressed with the weight and afflicted with fear, sought the protection of the grand sire of all creatures, that's Brahma. And she beheld, this is the earth, uh, she's, she's going to Brahma, the earth is going to Brahma, and they, use a, they call the earth a she. And she beheld the divine Brahma, the creator of the worlds, who knoweth no deterioration, surrounded by the gods, Brahmanas and the great rishis of exceedingly good fortune, and adored by the delighted Gandharvas and Apsaras, always engaged in the service of the celestials, and the earth, desirous of protection, then represented everything to him in the presence, uh, O Bharata, of all the regions of the world. But, O king, the earth's object had already been known beforehand by, to the omniscient, self-created, and supreme lord. And, O Bharata, creator as he, as he is of the universe, why should he not fully know what is the minds of creatures, including the very gods and the asuras, the demons? O king the lord of the earth the creator of all creatures also called isa sambhu prajapati then spake to the earth o brahman and brahman said o beholder of wealth for the accomplishment of the object for which thou hast approached me i shall appoint all the dwellers in the heavens so he's going to take all of he's going to have all the heavenly beings come to help rid the earth of these demons. Having said so unto the earth, O king, the divine Brahman bade her farewell, and the creator then commanded all the gods, saying, to ease the earth of her burden, go ye and have your births in the earth, according to your respective parts, and seek ye strife with the demons that are already born there. And the creator of all, summoning also The tribes of the Gandharvas and the Apsaras spoke to them these words of deep import. Go ye and be born amongst men, according to your respective parts in the forms that ye like. And all the gods with Indra, on hearing these words of the Lord of Celestials, words that were true, desirable under the circumstances, and fraught with benefit, accepted them. And they all, having resolved to come down on earth, in their respected parts, then went to Narayana, which is Vishnu, the slayer of all four foes at Val at Vaikunth, the one who has a discus and the mace in his hand. So, uh, whenever uh, whenever uh, <clears throat> whenever he comes down, Narayana, he always has a mace and a, and a discus. And Krishna had a discus that he used to fight with. Who is clad in purple, who is of great splendor, who hath the, uh, the lotus in his navel, who is the slayer of the foes of the gods, who is, eyes, who is of eyes looking down upon his wide chest in yoga attitude, who is the lord of the, of the Prajapati himself, the sovereign of all the gods of mighty strength. This is Vishnu they're talking about, or Narayana. Who hath the mark of the auspicious world on his breast, who is the mover of everyone's faculties and who is adored by all the gods, him, Indra, the most exalted of person, addressed, saying, be incarnated. And Hari replied, let it be. Hari is another word for Vishnu. So so with that incantation, uh, Vishnu incarnated on the earth. And he came down at that time as Krishna, or maybe it was maybe it was Rama actually at that particular time. <laughs> but he see um at the end of each age, the world gets possessed by a, a way a lot of demons, and it happens in the Mahabharata as well. And then oh. Vishnu incarnates and then he is responsible for killing all of the demons off the earth and purifying the earth once again. Okay, so now we talk about the birth of the Pandavas and Duryodhana. And in our last story, um, we had the birth of Karna. And we had Kunti, who was, who was married to Pandu, who was the king of the Kuru race, uh, Pandu was, he was actually on a, uh, he was out hunting and he killed a deer. He killed this two deer that were making love, which is actually considered a sin to do that. <clears throat> and he didn't know that, but the two deer were actually two uh, brahmanas that were in the form of a deer making love of husband and wife. And because he killed those deer... While they were making love, the brahmana who was the the male deer, he cursed him. Even though the the brahmana was dying, he cursed Pandu that the next time that he made love to his wife, that he was going to be he was going to die. So, um, uh, so he's kind of like uh, bummed out about that. <laughs> he's got two wives actually, and Kunti is one of them. And Kunti, by the way, if you don't if you remember is the mother of Karna who put him out onto the river because she accidentally called upon the sun god. And the sun god said, you call me now, you have to have a baby with me. And she was too young to have a baby, but she had a baby, but she kept it secret and she put him out on the river. So Pandu spent several years in the forest. He he was happy in his own way since he renounced all the things that threatened to cause unhappiness. However, as time passed, A new worry entered his heart. He wanted children. He heard that a man with no sons was doomed to hell. His worry became immense. One day he was talking about it to Kunti. He could not take her, that was certain, so he asked her if she would, for the sake of his salvation, produce a child for him with a rishi for a companion, as his mother had done. Kunti was not for it. She was angry with him. She said, my Lord, you are my Lord and master. I chose you as my husband long ago. I will be with you in heaven or in hell. When you die, I will die with you. And after death, death, this curse cannot hold. We will get children then. Please do not try to coax me to do something which I cannot bring myself to do. So it was very uh, common in those days that when a woman's husband died, that she would just go up and kill herself on the funeral pyre with him. Yes, Surya the sun god, that's right. Pandu could not rest in peace. Days and nights he spent in misery, thinking only of his unborn children. Finally, taking pity on the king whom she loved immensely, Kunti said, my lord, I can cure you of your depression. I have it in my power to do what your heart desires. She told the king of her girlhood days, of the visit of visit of the sage Durvasa to her father's court and of the boon that had been granted to her by Durvasa, the boon that she could call upon do this mantra, and any god she thought of could would come down and give her a child. <clears throat> the king's joy was immense. He talked it over with her. He decided that a son born of Dharma, the god Dharma, would be indeed a worthy son. He will be a son, said the king, who will be remembered in aftertimes, the personification of Dharma himself. My son will uphold my name for all times. In that picturesque forest, Garden of Sata Satashringa, Kunti invoked the lord of Dharma on an auspicious day when all the stars and planets were favorable, Kunti gave birth to a son born of Dharma. A voice from the heavens proclaimed that this child was the perfect image of righteousness. And for this quality in him, he would be famed throughout the world. The child was named Yudhisthira. Pandu was very happy. A year later, Kunti, he asked Kunti to bear him another son, this time he wanted the father to be Vayu, the wind god, which is actually uh, Hanuman. Hanuman was also a form of Vayu, the most powerful of the De- Devas. When righteousness is supported by strength, nothing can withstand the combination, said the king. So he wanted to have a son that was supremely righteous and a son that was supremely powerful. So be it, said Kunti. Vayu was invoked, and the beautiful, strong son was born to Kunti. The voice from the heavens now proclaimed, This child will be the most powerful and most affectionate child. The son was called Bhimasena. Pandu, now the father of two sons, was not satisfied. He asked Kunti to give him another song. Summon Indra, said Pandu. Indra is the lord of the gods. A son born of the Lord of the heavens will indeed be the realization of all my dreams. A son born of Indra will be very righteous. He will be a great man. He will be a hero, invincible. You will be the mother of the greatest of all heroes. Again, she said, so be it. Kunti invoked Indra, and he gave her a son. The voice from the heavens now said, This child will win for Pandu imperishable fame. He will be the conqueror of the entire world. There will be none like him. Indra came to Pandu and said, This son of mine will be the conqueror of the entire world. Your son Yudhishthira will perform the great Rajasuya sacrifice and Mega yagas with his son of mine by his side. My son is the other half of Vishnu. So Vishnu has two halves, and it's, Narayana, it's Nara and Narayana. And Narayana was Krishna. And Nara turned out to be Arjuna. This was Arjuna's birth. <clears throat> Krishna, the son of Vasudev and Devaki, is Narayana. Because of these two men, the earth will be cleansed of all the poisons which are hurting her. With these words, Andra went away. The son was called Arjuna. There is an avarice which is greater than the love of money. It is a desire for sons. Pandu was a father of three sons. Still, he was not satisfied. He asked Kunti to give him another son. She refused, saying, you were so eager to have sons. Hence, I agreed. Now, even after three sons, if if I get more, Dharma will be destroyed. Desperate acts are allowed only three times at most. I will not try again. Pandu said, you are right. But think of Madri. Madri was his other wife. She has no son. Can you not teach her the incantation and help her to get a son? Kunti was quite willing to do it. She taught the invocation to Madri. Madri invoked the twin Ashvins, Ashvini Kumaras, the heavenly twins. They gave her two sons. The sons of Madri were more beautiful than the other three. The voice from the heavens spoke once more. These two will be the most handsome men in the entire world. They will be famed for their good qualities, their devotion, their bravery, and their wisdom. The sons of Madri were called Nakula and Sahadev. The rishis in the valley of Satashringa were the, were the officiating priests for the naming ceremony, and later they were responsible for the earlier education of the young princes. They were almost the children of all the rishis of the valley, Years ago, when the curse had been, had descended upon Pandu and he retired to the forest, the Vrishnis, the cousins and brothers of Kunti, were very unhappy. The Vrishnis is uh, Krishna's race. Krishna was the head of the Vrishnis. Now, when the news reached them that Pandu was the father of five sons, they were immensely pleased. Vasudeva, Krishna, the brother of Kunti, sent costly gifts and clothes through the family, through his family priest Kashyapa. This priest was asked asked to perform the rites necessary for young for the young Kshatriya princes. He stayed on and performed their Upa Nayamas. <laughs> <Nayananas. laughs> Upanayanas. There you go. I got it right. That's a hard one. In the forest lived Sukha, the son of Satyavati. There was no archer to to equal him. He was performing penance in the valley of Satasringa. He volunteered to train the youngsters in the use of arms. Because of the excellent training given by the great Rishi, the young princes became proficient in the use of weapons. Beam was good with the mace, Yudhishthira with the javelin, and the twins with the sword. Arjuna became a good archer. He could use both hands with equal ease. He was ambidextrous, Arjuna. Pleased with his skill, Sukha said that his disciple had become the equal of his master. In his pleasure, he made a gift of his bow to Arjuna as a mark of his appreciation. On the same day as Bhima was born, Gandhari's eldest son was born. Now, Gandhari was uh, the king, another king, it's another land, like this, basically the good guys and the bad guys. So basically, he wasn't a bad king, but he ended up having bad kids. So uh, he had a son, they had a son called Duryodhana, and Dhritarashtra was very pleased. The father was Dhritarashtra, and the mother was Gandhari, and they had a son named Duryodhana. He summoned Vidura, Vidura to his presence. Vidura was his counselor, and Vidura was also an incarnation of Dharma. So Vidura was a very righteous man. And said, I hear that a son has already been born to Pandu. He is a year older than my son. I have a fear that he, being the elder, will become the rightful heir to the throne, the throne of the Paravas. Do you think my guess is right? I am also upset by something else. The moment my child was born, certain omens were evident, omens which are not auspicious. I do not understand the reason for it. Vidura looked grave. He said, my brother, these omens prophesy that your son, Duryodhana, will be the cause of the destruction of the entire world. The king was shocked by these words. How can I avert the calamity? Vidura said, there is only one way. If you sacrifice his child for the good of humanity, the evil can be averted. You must put him to death. The wise say that for the sake of the family, one can be abandoned. The family may be abandoned for the sake of a village. The village may be abandoned for the sake of the community, and everything, even this world, may be abandoned for the sake of saving the soul. My advice to you is abandon this child, which spells ruin to the world. Poor Drishtarastra Rastra could not do it. Duryodhana was his firstborn. He could not take the advice of Vidura. In the course of time, he was the father of a hundred and one sons and and one daughter called Dusala. The king was happy. He buried all of his misgivings misgivings in the joy of falsehood. So even though he knew that his son would be the cause of the destruction of the entire race, the entire world, he he wanted a son so bad that he could not uh, do what was necessary in that in that rite. <clears throat> Pandu spent happy years with his sons, 15 happy years with his sons. Time passed. One day, Kunti had gone with the sons to a neighboring ashram. Pandu was alone. It was a beautiful day. It was springtime. All the trees had dressed themselves with beautiful flowers. The air was laden with the perfume of these blossoms. The forest garden of Satashringa was that day a fitting stage for the act of love. In that place, made beautiful and dreamy by the magic touch of Vasanta, the Lord of Spring, the friend and, and helpmate of the gods of love, the king saw his wife Madri. me one second. So here he is in this beautiful setting, and he he looks at his wife, Madri. She was a very beautiful woman, her dark form draped in crimson silk. She stood before the king, enchanting him with her loveliness. Pandu was overcome with a desperate desire to take her. Eighteen years had passed without his having tasted the joys of a woman's embrace, and Madri was enchantingly beautiful. His desire was too strong. He forgot all about the curse. Madri tried desperately to resist his advances. Kunti would have guarded him against this danger, but she was not there. Madri ran hither and thither like a frightened deer, but Pandu was too powerful. He caught her in his arms, and despite her words of warning and her remonstrances, he took her. The next moment, he fell down dead. The cry of Madri reached the ears of Kunti. With the five young boys, she rushed to the spot. Madri said, something terrible has happened. Leave the children and come here alone. Kunti saw her husband lying dead. She turned her entire wrath on the poor, unfortunate Madri. She said, how could you, knowing the curse, allow this? Could you, could you not have reminded him of it? Madri, Madri told her all that had happened. Kunti then realized that fate was too powerful. Her grief burned her frame. She fell down senseless on the ground. Madri took up the body of the dead king, dressed him in kingly robes, and laid him on the bed. She made Kunti get up. Kunti looked on the face of Pandu. A beautiful smile lit up the face of the dead king. Placing her face on his, Kunti gave way to her grief. By then, the rishis of the valley of Satasringa had assembled there. They looked on the scene with pity in their hearts. Eudistra and his brothers stood by, stunned by the calamity which had overtaken them. Eudistra lamented their fate with tears in his eyes. He said, we are now orphans. Fate's ways are indeed terrible. How can we so young live in this world of sin without your kind hands to guide us? From today we are lost. We have no friends, no one to take care of us. The children were standing round him, weeping tears of pain. The scene was pitiable. The rishis took the children apart and tried to console them. Both Kunti and Madri wanted to ascend the funeral pyre with Pandu. The rishis said, you are both mothers. It is your duty to stay with your children and take care of them. They are now sunk in the depths of despair. It is not fitting that you, their dear mothers, should now leave them and make them orphans in the full sense of the word. We will take you both to the city of Hastinapura. We are sure that the blind king Drucherasta will not be as fond of these children as he ought to be, because he has his own hundred sons. It is your duty as mothers to guard your sons, the future rulers of this world. The words of the rishis found no response in the heart of Madri. She was bent on only one thing: her death with her husband, who had to die because of her. He wanted me, she said. Before he was even able to satisfy himself, he died. I have got to go to him and satisfy him. I must die with him. She was delirious with the pain in her heart. She looked at Kunti and said, my dear sister, you are the elder and the wiser of us too. I will never be able to guard the children as you can. My sons born out of your kindness are really your sons. You are great enough to be the mother of five sons. You are the only person who can guard them. You have your cousins, the Vrishnis, to help you. You must help me realize my dream. I will not, I cannot live in this world without my Lord. I will ascend the funeral pyre with him. You must agree to make this sacrifice for me. You must live for the sake of these sons of yours. You will see them become rulers of this entire world. Life will have its compensations for you. I pray to you, grant me this, my wish. Kunti agreed. The rishis, too, thought that it that was the right thing to do. Madri called the children to her side and spoke these, spoke to them words of love and pain. She said, Kunti is your mother. I have been just the nursemaid. You are all the sons of Kunti. You will be the five Kanteyas. Eudistra will be your father, and you four will be his sons. Never displease him in any manner on any account. I am leaving you all in his hands. You distra, my son. You will be Lord of the earth. I will look on you from above and bless you. Madri took leave of everyone. She fell at the feet of Kunti. Kunti blessed Madri with these words. I grant you permission to follow our Lord. You will meet him in heaven and be with him forever and ever. Your name will always be remembered with love and tears by the world of men. Farewell, my sister. You can go in peace. Tears ran down her cheeks as she said this. Madri, with great joy, suffusing her face, ascended the pyre. Eudistris, the eldest son, applied the sacred fire with with his eyes streaming with tears. It was all over. The residents of Satashringa conferred and decided on the future course of action. They said the best thing to do would be to proceed to the, the capital of Hastinapura with Kunti and the five sons of Pandu. There they would leave the princes in the care of Bhishma and the king Dhritarashtra. If you all remember, Bhishma was the one who took the vow of celibacy for his father. And he was and he was basically the the father of the entire race even though he had no children it was the righteous it was the rightful home of the princes now that pandu was dead with swimming eyes kunti bade due to the forest satasringha where she had spent so many happy years with pandu and madri that was all past now a new chapter was to begin no one knew what fate held in store for them in hastipura the rishis with kunti and the five sons of pandu set out for the beautiful city. The journey was the journey into the unknown had begun. The Pandava princes and their mothers, escorted by the Rishis of Satashringa, reached Hashtanapura. The citizens were amazed at the sight. News reached Bhisma and Dhritarashtra about upon, about the arrival of these people. Now Dhritarashtra, he he, even though he was, I think he was basically a demon incarnated, because he had a lot of greed, he had a lot lot of jealousy of the Pandavas. They were born before his sons, and they were all sons of gods, and so forth, so he had a lot of jealousy. So he didn't treat the the Pandavas all that well, the five Pandavas. News reached Bhisma and Dhishthiraustra about the arrival of these people. They went to the gates of the city to receive their strange guests a group of rishis, a woman whose sad eyes haunted everyone, and five young men whose beauty and princeliness caught everyone's eye. Dhritarashtra, Bhishma, Balika, the brothers of Shantanu, his son Somadatta, the wise Vidura, Satyavati, Ambalika, Ambika, Gandhari, and the others, with a big retinue, went to the gates of the city. A memorable sight met their eyes. They saw Kunti with the five young princes, Like an RNA with five flames, which is a fire, with five flames leaping out of it. The Rishis were adored by the Karova elders. Then they spoke. You are all aware of the fact that the great Kuru prince Pandu, having renounced the pleasures of the world, was living with his wives, Kunti and Madri, on on the picturesque hills of Shatashringa. He was dearly loved by all of us. During his stay with us, Pandu became the son of five sons, three of them. Three of them, this young son by the name of Yudhishtra, this Bhima, and this child Arjuna, are the sons of Kunti, born of Dharma, Vayu, and Indra. The two boys who are standing near Kunti near Kunti, are Nakula and Sahadev, born to Madri. They are the sons of the Ashwin twins. When Yudhishtra was 15, Pandu performed, performed all the religious rites for these young men. Now, 17 days back, Pandu was gathered to his forefathers. We performed all the necessary funeral rites. The Queen Mandri accompanied him on the funeral pyre. We have brought these young men the future hopes of your Kuru house and their mother. It is up to you, Bhishma and Dhritarashtra, to take up the guardianship of these fatherless children. With these words, the rishis went away. The entire city was sunk in woe. Bhishma was speechless with sorrow. He was shocked and pained at the thought that he could no longer see his young nephew, Pandu, who, was left, who left them all the years back. Dhritarashtra was grieved at the loss of his brother and companion. Memories came crowding back, memories of the days of his childhood and boyhood, when Pandu, with his love and gentleness, made, made him forget that he was blind. Tears choked him. Ambalika was struck senseless. Her grief was inconsolable. They all returned to the palace. Dhritarashtra asked Vidura to make the arrangements for a royal mourning and funeral rites to be performed for the dead Pandu in a manner fitting the son of a Kuru house. The great Vyasa came to preside over the function. As I said, mentioned earlier, Vyasa was... Um, A rishi who had a divine body, he had divine knowledge, and he could just appear wherever he wanted to be at any time. Afterwards, when it was all over, Vyasa approached his mother, Satyavati, and said, Mother, the happy days are over. Terrible, dreadful times are in store for the house of the Kuru's now. Every day will be laden with sin. The world is well past her youth. Another few few years, and sin will prevail in the minds of your dear grandson." and his sons, his 101 sons. There will be nothing but annihilation. Mother, you have not the strength of mind to watch your great-grandchildren destroy each other. Yes, destroy each other in a great war. So he knows what's coming because he has divine knowledge and he's trying to warn his mother of what's coming. Why do you tarry here? Retire to the forest and turn your back on this world. So be it, says Satyavati, and she called Ambika and Ambalika and told them that she was going away to the forest and asked them if they were willing to go with her. They were only too willing to go away from the city and try to forget their pain. Indeed, fate has not been kind to these three women. They had been the chosen targets for disappointment and heartaches. They were only too happy to go away from that dreadful city, which held so many painful memory, memories for them. Satyavati thought of her futile life, the few years of happiness she spent with Shantanu. Even those years were not quite happy for her because she knew that her happiness was built on the unhappiness of Bhishma, who took the vow of celibacy so that she, her sons could be the kings. Then came the death of her lord, followed by followed hard upon by the death of her both her sons. Then came the birth of the three children, Dhritarastha, Pandu and Vidura. Disappointment followed one another, and now this dreadful prophecy of Vyas, that there was nothing but annihilation in store for the great Kuru house. She was grateful to her son for the respite he suggested. Her daughter-in-laws were only too happy and eager to escape from the city which never had given them any happiness, from the moment Bhishma brought them there by force, they had been just pawns in a game played by their mother-in-law. They were made to marry Travira, Vichitri- and then followed the tragic story of their beloved sister Amba. They could, they could never get over the pain of it. A few years of happiness with their lord. Then came the tragic death of Travira, Vichitri- and the months of loneliness. This was broken by the commands of their mother-in-law. They had to bear sons to uphold the name of the family the dreadful experiences they had when Vyas was called, the children which proved to be such disappointments to the queen mother whose ambitions were immense. The two women, still toys in the hands of Satyavati, agreed to go away to the forest with her. Ambalika was almost dead when her son died. She was grateful for the peace that the forest promised. They just wanted to forget. There is one thing more powerful than all the weapons of death. It is the unwillingness to live. It baffles death as nothing else can. When one is no longer interested in the events of the world, the state is worse than death. These three women, Satyavati, Ambika, and Ambalika, had reached that stage. To them, nothing mattered anymore. They set out willingly willingly for the forest in search of peace to soothe their bruised hearts. Just before setting out for the the forest, the three queens took farewell of all the members of the royal household, household. Satyavati sent for Bhishma. She told him about her decision. He was very unhappy. She was the link between him and his dearly departed father. Why, mother, should you leave me and go away? Will you not stay behind and help me to bear the burden of sorrow? Satyavati said, my son, I will not stay. Vyas told me that there is nothing but annihilation in store for the house of the Kuru's. I thought I was a brave woman, but I am not. I cannot see the destruction of the Kuru family. I will escape into the forest. I am firm on my decision. Annihilation, said Bhishma. Tell me more about this prophecy of Vyas. Satyavati then told him. Bhishma's face turned white and was drawn with pain. He said, I find that I am also willing to play the coward, my father has granted me a boon. He said that I can die only when I please. There is nothing left to live for, mother. I will also summon death and go back into the arms of my mother. No, you shall not," said Satyavati. That is the reason for my calling you. I leave these youngsters in your hand, hands. It is up to you to see that the house of the Kuru's is firmly established in the world until this duty is performed. Once I commanded you to do something for me and you refused, this time you cannot. I command you to guard these children. Bhishma bent his head down in silent consent. Thus they parted ways. Satyavati to find the peace that had been denied her all these years. Bhishma with the burden of life imposed upon him till fate thought fit to relieve him of its crushing weight. For the first time in their lives, The Pandava princes tasted the life of luxury that was theirs by birthright. See, until this time, they lived in the forest with all the rishis. They basically lived a very simple life, and they were like 15 years old now. They were all youngsters, the Pandavas and the sons of Dhritarashtra. The palace gardens were filled with the voices of the boys at play, and Bhishma spent a few days of happiness listening to the voices of his grandsons. It was then that evil was born in the heart of Duryodhana. Bhima was a wild lad. He enjoyed teasing the other boys. He was the strongest of all of them. In any kind of fight, he would always be the winner. In boxing and wrestling in any game of strength, he was able to defeat all the sons of Dhritarashtra. If they were on top of a tree, his favorite game was to shake the tree by the roots and make the boys fall from the tree like so many fruits. They resented this. Beam was bubbling over with the energy, or rather the excess of energy, that was his inheritance from his father, Vayu, the wind god. Taking defeat and humiliation with a smiling face is a form of hypocrisy, which we are able to develop as we grow older. It is entirely absent when we are young. A defeated child will always shout and storm at the winner. This is a characteristic which we all know. Being a sport, as the idiom goes, is not a natural reaction of the child. We develop it as we develop boys, only as we grow older. The sons of Dhritarashtra were, were true to their nature. They resented this supremacy of Beam. Beam, too, in all fairness to his cousins, was a bit of a bully. He enjoyed teasing the other boys and humiliating them. It was all very childish, but the heart of Dhritarashtra, the young the young boy was full of anger and sullen hatred and jealousy he hated his cousin beam with with all his little might and heart the poor boy thought out ways and means of avenging this extreme humiliation he was a spoiled child till now he was the sole master of the entire palace he was the the heir apparent This intrusion of the cousins was something he did not bargain for. Here were rivals who were being petted by his beloved grandfather, Bhijma, who had been so fond of him until now. He was wild with jealousy. Beam was a rival who was getting the better of him in everything. Any other child under similar circumstances would have reacted in the same way. I wish he were dead is a common form of expression of an angry child. Duryodhan too wished that Beam were dead. But here the parallel ceases. Ordinary children have outgrown this stage, but Duryodhana was not an ordinary child. His father was selfish and avaricious. Duryodhana inherited these qualities. He thought far ahead. He did not want these cousins of his to prosper. He thought that with the death of Beam, his future as the king of the country would be reassured. It was here at this pliable stage that Sukuni entered the stage. Sukuni, the uncle of Duryodhan and his evil mentor. Sukuni fanned the spark of hatred between the heart of Duryodhan till it became an all consuming flame. There was place for no other feeling in the heart of the young prince except hatred for the Pandavas in general and for Beam in particular. Sleep left his eyes and he was unhappy. Sakuni and Duryodhan hatched a plot to destroy destroy Beam. The young boys went to the bank of the river Ganga. They spent the whole day there playing games. It was a picnic. When evening came, Beam was very tired and hungry. Duryodhan took him inside the tent and fed him on the choicest kinds of food. Beam was simple and without any guile. He could never see through the actions of others. He ate his food not knowing that Duryodhan had mixed an herb, kalu. Kalakuta, the deadliest of poisons, with his food. Tired out, young Beam lay down and promptly fell into a deep sleep. The sleeping form of Beam was bound up with the strongest of creepers. Duridan then flung him into the waters of the Ganga, where there were placed many snakes spitting deadly poisons. The return to the city was being planned. Eudistra looked everywhere for Beam. He was nowhere to be seen. Eudistra thought that perhaps he had reached the city. He went home in a hurry and asked his mother, Mother, where is Beam here? Kunzi said, No, he has not come back, said the mother. And looking at the face of Eudistra, she was frightened. He told her that he was nowhere to be seen. The poor boys returned to the banks of the river and searched for their brother everywhere. Beam, beam, they called out to him. Only the echoes of their voices reached them. Their search was fruitless. They returned home and told their mother that he was not anywhere to be seen. Frightened, Kunti sent for Vidura and told him that Beam was missing. They told him everything. Kunti said, Duryodhan does not look upon my son with love. I have a fear that he has killed my child when he was sleeping. Vidura comforted her. He said, do not worry, my dear sister. It is up to you to protect the other four. If Duryodhan knows what we that we suspect him. He will try to kill the others also. It has been said by the Rishis that your sons will be long-lived. Do not show your feelings. I am sure Beam is safe. He will come back to you soon. Possess your heart in patience and do not let Duridan know that you suspect him. After these words of comfort, Bedura went away. Beam, who had been flung into the river with his limbs tied with creepers, still slept on. Suddenly he felt something stinging him. The snakes had begun their work. They all together and one by one began to sting him all over. A strange thing happened. The poison of the snakes proved to be an antidote for the terrible poison which he had been eaten, which he ate. He woke up and began to kill the snakes. Some of them were able to escape, and they went to the nether regions. They reached the abode of Vasuki, their master. Now, the the snakes um, are a race of beings in, in in this day and age, and Vasuki was the king of all the snakes. They said, here is a man, or perhaps he is the king of serpents. A thousand serpents have stung him. It only woke him up from a deep sleep. Now he has broken all bonds and he's built on, bent on killing all of us. It is but meet that, that you should meet him. You should see him. Basuki was led by his myrmidons to the place where Bima was. Basuki recognized him to be Beam, the son of Kunti, and embraced him. He told his ministers, give him riches and jewels to his heart's content. I am very pleased with him. The minister replied, I would like to make a suggestion. He is a prince. Jewels and riches will be of no use to him. Why should we not feed him with our elixir, which gives great strength? Basuki was pleased with the suggestion of his minister. He sat beam facing the east and gave him a bowl full of this elixir. Beam quaffed it in a single draft. The entire assembly was amazed. Basuki called for, for more and beam said and told beam, drink your fill. The more you drink, the stronger you will be. Each bowl will give you the strength of a thousand elephants. Beam emptied eight bowls of the divine, Ixler, the divine elixir and then fell asleep. Can you imagine? He 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 was already super, super strong. But now after drinking this elixir, he was as strong as 8,000 elephants. Just think about that for a moment. Uh, Beam slept for eight days. On the eighth day, he got up. He was fed with the divine food of the Naga king and was brought to the surface of the river. He found himself in the place where they had all camped. He returned home to his mother and brothers. He was greeted with tears of joy by all of them. Kunti could not contain herself. She was so happy. Yudhishthira was able to speak only after a few moments of stunned silence. He was very fond of Beam, and this week was a week of torture for him. Beam embraced all of them and pacified his mother, who was now weeping without any restraint. With all the five around him, Beam told them of his strange experience. Bedura came and heard the story. He advised them to be careful about the hatred of Duridan. So Bedura, who was who was the brother of the king and his and his uh, the person who advised him, his advisor, was being honest with them and said that he has to be very careful because how much Duridan hates Beam. Duryodhan saw the hated Beam alive and well. He was happy for the last few days of Beam being gone, and now the sight of Beam was a great shock. He was surprised at the miracle that had saved Beam. He had been so sure of the success of his plot. Sukuni was equally amazed. Duryodhan's hatred was greater now, but he had to be quiet because he knew that the Pandavas also knew. So we're going to stop there before, and next time we're going to pick up a chapter 16. So the, the starting, this is the beginning of the enmity between the Pandavas and the Karavas. The Karavas are Duryodhana and his 101 brothers. And the story progresses until we get to the towards the end when it, it basically all comes to a head in a great battle. Where everybody takes sides in this battle, and, and there's a there is a a battle so fierce that there are literally rivers of blood, with corpses and horses and chariots going down these rivers of blood. That's we'll get to that part too later. Um, did you guys enjoy this? Anyone? Any comments? Did I put you all asleep? (laughs) Well, thank you guys for showing up. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, I really enjoy reading it. And I appreciate having uh, other people to enjoy it with. So thank you for being here. And we will pick up. By the way, if you were here early, I was playing um, the Maha Mithun Jaya mantra. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, the Mahamritunjaya. Mrit, it's hard to say Mahamritunjaya mantra. It's a mantra that is used when you want to get well. Like if you're if you're sick and you want to you want to get well, it's a it's a a, a mantra to Shiva. It's a beautiful. It's it's absolutely beautiful. I'll just play a couple seconds of it. Okay, I'll I'll put this link. There's there's actually a lot of versions of it, but this is the one that I like the most. This man that's singing it has an amazing voice. And and they you know, every mantra like this is is meant to be repeated 108 times, which is a number of malas on a mala beat, on a beat of malas, mala beats. So when uh they would meditate they would chant this mantra 108 times and each time they would move their fingers down another uh mala on the mala bead mala bead on the on the mala the mala is the whole chain of beads 108 is a big has a lot of spiritual significance yes thank you um my lena and my son have strep throat and so I'm supposed to have strep throat but I don't think so. <laughs> this guy's voice is so cool. Anyway, you guys can enjoy that. It's like it's about it's like 45 minutes long if you listen to the whole thing. Um I used to listen to it over and over. I don't know, not because I was sick, just because it was so beautiful. I just just loved hearing it. Um and I would sing along with it. You can get the words also. Um, You can get the words, let's see here. Here's another link that has the actual words in the translation if you're interested in looking it up. But um, beautiful chant. Well, thank you all. Have a great rest of your evening. And I will see you in two weeks. Actually, I'll be on Monday with the astrological update for the year 2024. Should be a very interesting year when you think about what's going on. There's so much happening right now. So we're going to talk about that on Monday night. I hope you guys have a great weekend and have a great night.